If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I invite your attention to the Gospel of Matthew, the sixth chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. If you were not able to bring your copy of God's Word with you today, you'll find one in the hymn rack in front of you. It is of the same translation that I read from, from the pulpit, the New American Standard Translation. Matthew chapter 6 and the first four verses as we continue our series of working our way through the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon that's ever preached by the greatest preacher who's ever born and lived, recorded in the greatest book that has ever been written. Today we're going to be looking at the subject of giving and primarily in the giving to the poor and the attitude that we should have as we do so. So Matthew chapter 6 and the first four verses. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets so that they may be honored by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving will be in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. You may remember back in 2002, the release of a movie called Catch Me If You Can, the film was based on the true story of a man named Frank Agbadnell, starring Leonardo DiCaprio. Abigail realized early in his life, he was around 19 years of age, that he had the uncanny gift to convince people that he was somebody other than who he was, just through the way that he came across with confidence and in his acting ability. He turned life into a game and made a living at it and soon found himself acting as an addict, that is, acted to, uh, addicted to role-playing. Before it was over, he had helped perform surgery, really, real-life surgery, in an operating room, conned banks out of thousands of dollars, flew an airplane for the American World Airlines as a pilot, and had gone places and met people that most of us only dream about. The only problem was it was all a show, all a scam. The FBI finally caught him and he ended up spending years in federal penitentiary. He had so much talent, but he wasted it, pretending to be something that he really wasn't. His primary crime was check fraud and he became so skillful that the FBI eventually turned to him for help in catching other Czech forgers. Hollywood seems to honor its actors and actresses at every opportunity. They give trophies to those who have done a good job in, in acting out and pretending and make-believe. There are so many talented people who are receiving praise for just pretending. You know, we live in a phony world surrounded by people who make-believe. But in my view, the greatest acting is not done in Hollywood, but in churches. And the Bible calls these actors and actresses hypocrites. 
Now, Jesus had uh, nothing but words of compassion and praise for the sinners and thieves and harlots and the cheaters of his day. In fact, he was crucified, you may remember, because he was a friend of sinners. The Bible had predicted in the prophecy of Isaiah that he would be numbered with the transgressors, that he would be crucified between two thieves, and that he would make his grave with the wicked. But our Lord reserved his most critical condemning words for the hypocrites. He called them wolves in sheep's clothing. He called them whitened sepulchers who were shiny and spotless on the outside. But on the inside, they were full of decaying flesh and bones. Hypocrites, he called them. Keep your place here at the Gospel of Matthew chapter 6 and just turn to chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23 is a hallmark of names and references to the scribes and the Pharisees whom Jesus referred to and boldly called hypocrites. And uh, in chapter 23 and beginning with verse 1, the Bible says, Then Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Therefore, all that they tell you, do and observe, but do not do according to their deeds, for they say things and do not do them. Now, you notice in verse 2 that he makes reference to the chair of Moses. The chair of Moses was actually a chair, a real chair in the synagogue. And it stood for the teaching authority of Moses, Moses' successor as they taught the Torah. Now, this is nothing new or different even for us. In universities as well as in seminaries, they do have positions known as the chair of a certain vocation or a certain subject. For example, in the seminary, there's someone who is honored with the position of being the chair of evangelism or the chair of preaching and so forth. It just simply is a way of recognizing their ability and their authority as a teacher in that given subject. And so this was what the chair of Moses was. It was a place of honor and recognition to those who would carry on the teachings of Moses. And so he was saying in this verse of scripture that the scribes and the Pharisees seated themselves in the chair of Moses. But notice what he says in verse 3. Therefore all do all that they tell you. Do it and observe it. But do not do according to their deeds. For they say things and do not do them. We would say today that they said, you know, do as I say, not as I do. That was the attitude that they were taking here. Now, uh, notice in chapter 23 of Matthew that Jesus, beginning with verse 13, has some very harsh, critical, and condemning words to say to the scribes and the Pharisees. Notice in verse 13, and I'm just going to point out to you this expression, but woe to you. That expression, but woe to you, is a, a, an announcement by our Lord upon these hypocrites because of the coming judgment and rec uh, uh, um, requirement that they would be held to uh, for the things that they did in misleading people. Do as I say, but don't do as I do. That is, they could talk the talk in public, but in private, 
They were not walking the walk. And so Jesus condemns them. Look at verse 13. He says, but woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from people. For you do not enter in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Look at verse 14. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Again in verse 15, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites. And then verse 16, woe to you blind guides who say, whoever swears by the temple, that is nothing, but whoever swears by the gold of the temple is obligated. Skip down to verse 23. Woe to you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Verse 24, you blind guides. Verse 25, woe to you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Verse 26, you blind Pharisees. Verse 27, woe to you scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites. Look at verse 29. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites. Then skip down to verse 33. He calls them, you serpents, you brood of vipers. How will you escape the coming judgment of hell? My, pretty harsh words. He was certainly not winning friends and influencing people in a positive way. He was telling it like it was, calling them exactly what they were. They were pretending to be something. In reality, they were not. Even when you come to chapter 23 of Matthew, go back to 23 Matthew, and in verse 5, he says, but they do all of their deeds to be noticed by men. They were doing it, according to verse 5 in Matthew 23, simply to impress other people. Look at who I am. Look at what I do. Look at how much I give. They were doing their deeds in order to be noticed by men. In other words, these hypocrites could publicly talk the talk, but privately, as I said, did not walk the walk. There are three basic ideas that I want to develop this morning as we look at these uh, verses of Matthew chapter 6 and the first four verses, talking about giving. First of all, the responsibility of giving, and then secondly, the reality of giving, and then thirdly, the reward of giving. So let's look at this first idea given to us in verses 2 and 3 as he talks about the responsibility of giving. Look at it in verse 1, beginning with verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the tr hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the street so that they can be honored by men. Look at verse 3. But when you give. Now notice that he says in verses 2 and 3, not if you give. He says when you give. So in verse 2 he says when you give. Verse 3 he says but when you give. So it's assuming here that Jesus assumed that they would be doing this. This was a part of their law and a part of their responsibility. Now, if you have the, uh, the King James Version of the Bible, the word that's translated in verse 6, your righteousness, is actually the word alms. So when you give your alms or when you, or you uh, do your alms, the word alms literally means charitable deeds. It could consist of giving money, it could consist of giving food or giving clothing. Anything that you might give to an individual who is needy would be explained and defined in the word alms, alms giving. It's also translated righteous deeds. 
that you were a righteous individual and you were doing what was right to help another individual who, um, who needed help, who needed assistance. So it was not a matter if you give, but rather when you give. It was not to have a, a, a good intentions. It was not a matter of having warm feelings for individuals, but rather when you give, it was assumed and taken for granted no question at all about it, you would help those who were in need. Now, notice two things on your outline there, as I've given to you, that first of all, it is rooted in divine love. What is the almsgiving? Giving to poor people, giving to people who are needed, is rooted in the love of God. In the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 15 and verse 11, Deuteronomy 15 and verse 11 says, for the poor were never ceased to be in the land. Therefore I command you, saying, You shall freely open your hand to your brother, to your needy, and to the poor in your land. This was not a suggestion given from the Lord through Moses to the people. It was a command. For the poor, he says, you will always have with you, and you should open up your hand to those who are needy. It was an act of kindness rooted in the love of the Lord. Here's another passage of scripture in John 13, verse 29. You move over to the New Testament principles. John 13, 29 says, For some were supposing, uh, well, let me set the context for this, Jesus and his disciples, the 12 disciples who followed him, they had a bag of money that was designated as a bag of money, the proceeds out of which were to be given to the poor. So wherever Jesus went, his 12 disciples followed him. And whenever they came upon an individual who was poor and needy, they got into their bag of money and they gave the money to that poor individual. Judas Iscariot, the one who would betray our Lord, was the treasurer. It was his responsibility to keep up with the bag of money. So in John 13, 29, uh, it says, for some were supposing because Judas had the money box that Jesus was saying to him, buy the things we have need of for the feast or else that he should give something to the poor. This, the context of this is when um, Jesus was with his disciples in the upper room and the time came for Judas to slip out and, and go and, and tell the, the soldiers and the scribes and Pharisees uh, that Jesus was going to the Garden of Gethsemane and uh, he would lead them to Jesus in order to betray him. And so Jesus had turned to P, uh, Judas and he said, uh, go and what you do, do it quickly. And so he left. And so it is saying in John 13, 29, that the other disciples were under the assumption that he was to go out there and buy the necessary things that was needed to observe the, the, uh, the, uh, the Passover feast or, or to give money to the poor, buy the things that were needed to give to the poor. So Jesus is simply following the example uh, that he was saying that all of us ought to do, and that is to give a portion of our goods to those who are in need. And it is based on how God has treated you. In Luke 6, 38, the Bible says, give and it will be given to you. Re in reference, of course, to how God responds to you and to me. John three sixteen would be another verse of scripture. For God so loved the world, God so loved the people of the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would never perish, but have everlasting life. 
So John 3.16 speaks of the love that God has for all of us. And he demonstrated that love in that he gave his only son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to us and for us to die on the cross. John 3.16. There's another verse written by the apostle of love, John, in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 16. 1 John 3.16 says, We know love by this that he laid down his life for us, therefore we ought to lay down our lives for one another. So John is taking the demonstration of God giving his son Jesus, motivated by love for us and saying in turn, he laid down his life for us because he loved us. We ought to lay down our lives for others because we love them as well. So the giving of the poor was based on divine love. But not only was it based on divine love, it was rooted in human life. Notice in Matthew 5, 42. Go back to chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 42. Remember, Jesus said, Give to him who asks of you and do not turn him away. He's assuming then in the context that the person who is asking is because he has need. Uh, there's a deficit in his life. He maybe doesn't have enough money to feed, buy food to feed his family or to pay his debts or maybe he got uh, uh, fired from his job or laid off and he didn't have any means of money uh, to support himself or his family. And he says if an individual comes to you and he needs help and you have the means to do it, then you're obligated to do so. Let me give you just several references. and Don't write them down because we, you won't have the time to turn to them. But Psalm 41.1, Psalm 41.1 in the New Living Translation says, Oh, the joy of those who are kind to the poor. The Lord rescues them when they are in trouble. So blessed are you if you know of a poor individual who is in need and you do what you can to help that individual. Give to him, uh, oh, the joy of those who are kind to the poor. Again, in James chapter 2, verses 14 and 7 through 17, listen to what James says. Chapter 2, verse 14. What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? Little translation is, can that kind of faith save him? What kind of faith? The faith that just says with his mouth. If someone says he has faith, but he has no works, or deeds whereby he demonstrates and proves that he has faith, there's nothing to it. It's just a lot of words. Verse 15, if a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to him, go in peace, be warmed and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. What good is it if you just sit around and say, you know, we ought to do something to help those who are in need, and yet you never do anything about it? It's just all talk. And James is saying, if, if you're saying that you have faith in the Lord, and you see somebody who is in need, and you don't do anything to help them, there's nothing to your faith. You must demonstrate by your works that you have faith. Now, you're not saved by works, but you are saved to do works, Paul tells us in the book of Ephesians in chapter 2 that we're not saved by works. We're saved by the grace of God. And so we are 
showing our faith by helping other people. Now, Jesus gave a parable about this in the 25th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. He talks about the coming day of judgment. And he uses the illustration of a shepherd gathering his flock of sheep and of goats. And he separates the sheep and puts them on one side. And he takes the goats and puts them on the other side. And he says to the sheep, come, you blessed of the Father, and enjoy the kingdom of heaven. For I was sick and you ministered to me. I was hungry and you fed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was in prison and you came and ministered to me. And they would say, when did we ever see you like this? And Jesus said, inasmuch as you've done it unto the least of these, you've done it unto me. Then he turned to the goats and he said, depart from me into, into hell and, uh, and reserve for the devil and his angels. Because I was hungry, you didn't feed me. I was naked, you didn't clothe me. I was sick, you didn't minister to me. I was in prison. You never came to me and encouraged me or comforted me. When did we ever see you that way? Inasmuch as you've done it unto the least of these, you've done it unto me. So what I'm trying to say to you in all of this is that it is assumed and expected of all of us that if we see an individual in need and we have the means whereby we can help them, then we are under a divine obligation motivated and based on the love of Almighty God to reach out to those people and to minister to them and to minister to them. So that is the responsibility of giving. Jesus didn't say if you give. He said when you give. Now this brings us to the second idea and that is the reality of giving. Notice he says in verse 1, beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Now, the word beware, of course, is a word of warning. It means you need to sit up and take notice to this. What is, I'm about to say to you regarding this is extremely important. Pay attention to what I'm about to say to you when you are in the practice, which speaks of an ongoing uh, act of mercy and helping other people. This is not just a once in a while thing when I feel like doing it. But as you practice giving to the poor, beware of this that you do not do it in order to get the attention of people and say, hey, look at me, look at what I'm doing, look at how much I'm giving. And uh, he said, don't do that. Beware, you'll get your reward and that'll be all. So that brings me to two major ideas under this reality of giving. There's a proper way of doing it and an improper way of doing it. An improper motive is of course to be noticed by men. Look at verse one. Beware of practicing your righteousness or the giving of your alms before men to be noticed by them. He says, otherwise you have no reward in heaven. So beware. Now, the word noticed is a word uh, from which we get our English word theater. When you go to a theater to see a play, you see people on the stage pretending to be something they're not. They are acting out a role or roles uh, of, of what, whoever the characters of that given play are. Now, they may be acting out a true story, but they're actors and actresses. They are not the real individuals. They are just play acting. They are make-believing. They are pretending to be these other individuals. And why are they doing it? They're doing it for the audience. The audience is seeing what's taking place. And they're doing it in order to be recognized. When you come to the end of the play, the curtain falls and it reopens and everybody takes a bow. 
because they have been performing for the people who are out in the audience. And Jesus is saying, be careful that when you give to the needy, that you don't do it with the wrong attitude. In other words, that you're doing it in order to be noticed by these individuals. They're hypocrites. Now, in Jesus' day, the Greeks and the Romans, uh, when they would play, usually they would have a whole lot of actors or actresses that may be only one person who's doing the play. But he would have different masks to wear. And when he was acting out the role of one character, he would take a mask and he would hold it up in front of his face. And when he finished acting out that person's role, he would lay that down and pick up another mask and put that up in front of his face and he would be assuming the role of a different actor. So the term two-faced, his real face, but the false face that he would hold up in front of him. So a hypocrite is an individual who is two-faced. He is giving the impression to other people that he's something who in reality he is not. He is pretending, he is make-believing. And he's doing it in order to be noticed by these people. That, Jesus said, is an improper way to give your alms. But there is a proper way. And you'll notice in verse, uh, uh, in verse uh, 3, he says, Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Now, what does he mean by this? Well, I, I think that is a proverbial expression uh, that is simply saying, you know, if you're going to do something to help somebody, uh, you know, don't make a fanfare over it. You know, don't, don't say to people, hey, look what I'm doing here. Uh, John MacArthur in his commentary on this says, the most satisfying giving as the giving that God blesses is that which is done and forgotten. Done and forgotten. Now, this does, now let me hurry to say this. This does not mean that you should never give something and, and it not be known. And I go back to what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. Let your light so shine before men that they may glorify you. Well, no, that would be the wrong motive. That would be the improper way of doing it. That's what Jesus is talking and teaching about against. He said, let your light shine that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. No, no that's a whole new matter. Because if for people to know that you're doing, you're not taking the credit for it. You're not being given the praise for it. You're doing it to glorify the Father. Let your works be what? Kept in secret? No. Let your good works be seen by others so that they may glorify the Father. That would be the proper way to do it. And so the most satisfying giving and the giving that God blesses is the giving that brings honor and glory to him. Now, whether the person that you help is grateful or ungrateful should not matter. It's not your responsibility to tell that individual how he can or what he can do with whatever it is you give to them. When you give that gift, you release your grip on it. You no longer have control over it. There have been a lot of times that we have had people who walk into our church office who need help. We don't know if it's legitimate or not. Love, Inc. helps us a lot in some of these matters because they investigate the background of people who are in need to make sure that it is legitimate. But that's not of every single individual who comes into our church. There are some individuals who even come to our worship services, who hang around at the end of the service. They need help. 
If we help them, if I help them, if you help them, there's no way I can sit down, well, let me investigate your background, make sure that it's legitimate. We get, we get ripped off a lot of times. I get ripped off sometimes. It just burns me up. But it's not my responsibility. I give it to them, and I step back and I leave it alone. It's no longer my responsibility. It's now theirs. My responsibility is to give so that the Father will be glorified. If my giving to them so the Father can be glorified, that's all I need. I don't need praise. I don't need responsibility to take care of it. It's in God's hands and it's in their hands. So there's a proper way of giving and there's an improper way of giving. If you're going to give and help somebody, it's okay if you do it secretly. I know of individuals in this church who recognize somebody who is in need. They'll reach in their pocket, pull out a billfold and some money and give it to them and, and, and you never know it. They go on their way. And that's the way they like to do it. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's good. There are, on the other hand, those individuals and all of us collectively sometimes, we give somebody who's in need. As long as we don't get the praise for it, as long as we're not doing it in order to say we're going to be recognized and noticed by people, no. Make sure that God is the one and only God being the one who gets the glory and the credit and the recognition for it. This brings us then to the third and final idea, and that is the reward of giving. Notice what he says in verse 4. Well, verse 3 to get the full idea. But when you give to the poor, do not let your right, left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving will be in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now go back up to verse, uh, verse 2. When you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets so that they may be honored by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. So he talks about rewards here. And you know, it, it is scriptural. It is spiritual. It's, it's going to happen that you and I will one day be rewarded by the Father for what we have done in his name. If we've given him the glory and the honor for it, the Lord will take care of it. But he's talking in verse 2 about those individuals who do it in order to receive recognition. And he says they do it in order to be honored and noticed by men. And he says they have their reward in full. In full. Now the word in full is a term that you and I still use to this day. If you receive a bill and uh, you pay that bill, you can stamp or cross that bill paid in full. Or if you're paying it to the, to the proprietor, he will do that. He'll either write in it or he'll stamp on it, rubber stamp in red ink. He'll just stamp it and say paid in full. You don't owe another penny. And he is saying these individuals who do what they do in order to be recognized and noticed and honored by men, are paid in full, and they can expect nothing else. Nothing else. You, you got your praise. You got your recognition. That's all you're going to get. It's paid in full. Now, in verse 2, he talks about the trumpet. He says, don't be like those hypocrites who sound the trumpet in order to be noticed. Now, what does he mean here? There are two possible interpretations. It could be that he's actually saying that there are some who hold some kind of a, 
uh, a sofar, uh, that, that ram's horn that's used as a, a horn to blow. Didn't have a trumpet like we think of a, a trumpet. Uh, but uh, they, they would have some way of announcing to the public, hey, look here, here here's old, uh, the rich man. He's about to, to pay. Everybody notice what he's doing. That's one way of interpreting it. Another way of interpreting it is that the, the vessel, the container in which all of the alms giving, the money was given, was made out of metal, had a wide mouth on it, and it would narrow down to the bottom and empty into a box. Uh, that uh, these rich men would take their money and they would exchange it from paper money to coins. And they, the more coins they had, the more noise it would make. And they would throw that money in that trumpet and it would roll around and roll around and come all the way down. And as it goes down, it just makes all kinds of noise. And people would say, oh, look, hey, somebody's giving really a whole lot of money over there. That's one possible way of interpreting it. There's no record that we know of in the scriptures where there was an actual trumpet blown. It may have been. It may have been. But it is believed that these individuals were simply doing what they were doing in order to get the credit and the praise and the recognition and to be noticed by individuals. And Jesus said they got their praise and it's been paid in full and they need not expect anything else. In preparation for this message today, I came across a quote by a Roman Catholic uh, bishop who lived back in the 1500s. His name was St. Francis de Sales. And uh, he said this, Some men become proud and insolent because they ride a fine horse, wear a feather in their hat, and they are dressed in a fine suit of clothes. Who does not see the folly of that, he said, if there are any glory that needs to be given, the glory belongs to the horse and the bird and the tailor, not to the individual. In our case, the glory doesn't belong to us. It belongs to the master. It belongs to Jesus. What would we be if it were not for the grace of God? So man's reward, the praise of other men, that's all they'll get. That's it. On the other hand, Jesus is saying that the Father who is in heaven, who sees what you do in secret, he will reward you openly. I referred a moment ago to the 25th chapter of Matthew's gospel where Jesus gathered um, all of these individuals together. There's another parable in that chapter which he describes a man, a wealthy individual who's going off on a trip and he calls three of his servants in and he gives each of them some talents and expects them to take care of them and invest them while he's gone. And he goes off on his trip, he comes back and he calls those three in and he holds them accountable for what they've done with what he has entrusted to them. He brings the first man in to whom he had given five talents and he said, what have you done with your five talents? He said, well, I've invested them, I've put them to use. And now I've doubled them, I've got 10. And what does he say? The master says, well done, you good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over some of these, all of these things. I will give you more, I'm paraphrasing it here. I'll give you more responsibility, more responsibility. Says same thing to the person who has two talents. To the one talent guy, he said, well, I dug it. I was afraid. I know that you're a hard driver, a hard taskmaster, man. You reap where you haven't sown. I was afraid I hid mine. 
Jesus said, that'll be taken away from you and give to those who already have. You'll be cast out into darkness. So he said, well done. Well done. You've been faithful here. You'll be given more responsibility. What's he talking? I don't know when we, what all we're going to be doing when we get to heaven. We're not going to be sitting around. We're not going to be uh, dull and bored. We're going to be busy serving the Lord. And much of what we're going to be doing in heaven will be based on in proportion to how we handle the responsibilities God gives us here. If I'm not faithful to what God gives to me now, how can he trust me with something in heaven? It's not that I won't be there. It's just be based on what I'm going to be doing. I'm not, I may end up doing nothing. I don't know. It all depends on how faithful you are now. And Jesus will take care of us there. In Hebrews 4.13, the Bible says, nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes and he is the one to whom we are accountable. So it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't what, matter what you do in public or what you do in private. God sees it all. You may pull the shades down. You may think what's going on in your life. Nobody knows but you and you and all. But God's watching. And he's recording everything you do, everything you say. But he also records why you do it and how you give. And you'll be held accountable for it. And he will reward you. Some of you will be there with smoke on your clothes, and that's about it. According to 1 Corinthians 3. John MacArthur in his footnote says, The greatest reward a believer can have is the knowledge that he has pleased the Lord. That's what it all boils down to, folks. As to whether or not you please God with who you are and how you act and what you have and what you do with it. So three concluding thoughts. Do what you do for your neighbor's good and for God's glory and never for personal gain. Do what you do for others, for their good and God's glory. And that's it. That's it. If you don't get recognition here in this life, you just wait. God's got something great in store for you. Let him do it. Secondly, the real you is what you are and what you do when God isn't looking. Although I've said to you, he does look. But when you think oh, God's not looking, <laughs> oh, yes, he is. And thirdly, trust God to reward you at the right time, in the right way, and for the right reason. Now, in conclusion, and I'm concluding, okay, <laughs> not, not like the girl who said to her boyfriend whose father was a pastor, uh, I, I like when your pastor said he concludes because when he concludes, he concludes. If he says, and lastly, he just lasts and lasts and lasts. <laughs> so in conclusion, did you know and have you realized that you and I, that you and I are spiritually poor? We are. Apart from Christ, we are paupers. We are beggars. Go back with me in your mind to the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount and what was the first beatitude that Jesus spoke. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. That is a reference to humility. That means that you recognize that spiritually, 
your worth is zero. There is nothing that you are or that you have in the way of your character that qualifies to meet the requirements of God. The Bible tells us that if you and I were together, our righteousness, what we think is good about us, around ourselves, like a robe, it would be in the eyes of God as a filthy rag. That filthy rag, it's a gross meaning to it, but if you ever had a wound on you that got infected and had all of that pus and all that terrible stuff, and you have to change the, you ever look at the bandage when you take it all and how yucky it is. That's the meaning where he says, all of your righteousness is as in the sight of God, a filthy rag. You're not as holy and as righteous as you think you are. Revelation 3, verses 17 and 19 is our Lord's condemnation and recommendation to the church at Laodicea because these people were so rich and so proud, they folded their arms and said, we have need of nothing. Got any bills to pay? We got the money. Got any buildings we need to build? Don't worry about it. Snap, nothing to it. We got everything we need. We're fat and sassy and satisfied. You know what the Lord said to them? You say, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So, our Lord said, I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that has been refined and purified by fire. Then you will be rich. Also buy white garments from me so that you will not be ashamed by your nakedness and the ointment for your eyes so that you'll be able to see. I correct and discipline everyone I love, so be diligent and turn from your indifference. Oh, Jesus said, yes, you're naked, you're poor, you're blind, you're sick, but I've got a cure for you. Oh, there is a balm in Gilead to make the sin sick soul well. There is an eye salve that if the Lord will apply to your eye of your soul, you'll be able to see your condition. Do you remember the story of Hans Christian Andersen, the emperor's new clothes? A couple of conniving men pretending to be tailors, knowing the king's vanity about his clothes, they began a scheme to weave invisible garments. And the king bought into it. He took off all of his clothes and put on the invisible suit. He walked in a royal procession down the main street to show everyone his magnificent clothes. At first, everyone exclaimed praises over what he was wearing. And then one little boy had the audacity to say, look at the king, he's as naked as the day he was born. Are you rich? What kind of clothes are you wearing? You may just be as naked as the day you're born when it comes to righteousness. Nothing there. And Jesus says, I've got the money you need. I've got the clothes you need. I've got the food you need. 
if you come and buy from me, if you wear the clothes of righteousness that I offer you, if you take the spiritual bread and water that I am, you'll never thirst or hunger again. And you won't have to wear fig leaves like Adam and Eve. You'll be dressed in the righteousness of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's bow together. Father, forgive us when we boast, when we're so arrogant and proud of who we are and what we think we are, what we have or think we have. And when we're put under your x-ray and your vision, you reveal and expose our greatest need to be known to be righteous in you. Thank you for having pity upon us for having mercy upon us for when we were unrighteous and naked before you. You clothed us in the garments of righteousness that Jesus made available. Forgive us for the times that we've boasted and wanting to have credit and recognition from others. Oh, how vain it is. May we always keep in mind that we are here to be lights in a world of spiritual darkness shining for Jesus, that you might be honored and glorified. Bless now this time of invitation, and should there be one here who needs to make a decision for you, may it be done to bring honor and glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me, please? And as Andre leads us, you come if you need to.